mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am Sean, your host. With me again, as always, is uh, Sean P. Say hi, Sean. Hey, everyone. What's going on? Today, we wanted to talk uh, a little bit about something that has been in the news lately and that uh, obviously is of great concern to a lot of people in the tech industry, and that is kind of what's the future of Apple? What's their future as a company, and and what kind of direction do we think they're heading in? A lot of people would, uh, and I'd say mistakenly, uh, think that I'm an Apple hater. It's really not true. Except for it is. Except for it might slightly be true. Um, I will admit to having criticized them uh, on pretty much every occasion I can find. But I do, uh, while I do criticize them, I do have a respect for Apple's place in uh, the past driving innovation in the mobile space forward. Um, I don't believe they're infallible. Uh, I don't believe their products are worth the premium that's charged for them. I do believe that Steve Jobs was a singular individual who was able to produce fantastic results at this company and since his passing that things have been drastically different for them. Uh, They do have an ability to produce a quality product that's well designed and well made. Um, I personally feel like they're more of a marketing company these days than anything else, but in the past Apple's pushed the envelope um, of what mobile technology could be and should be. So as part and parcel of this podcast, we'll talk a little bit about their past so that we can talk about where they are in the present and then ultimately what um, what we might be able to see is their future. So um, you ready, Sean? You ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Very good. So first in talking about the past, let's take a look at the original iPhone, the OG iPhone that launched in June of 2007. What do you, Sean, what do you remember about the world of technology in 2007? At the time, I was using a Motorola Razor flip phone, is what I recall first of all. Sweet God. Uh, I remember watching the kind of iconic Steve Jobs press conference as he was announcing the iPhone, and like everyone else, I sat there and went, you know, wow, this is, this is the future. Steve Jobs, if nothing else, was a, a great marketer, and as you're watching the press conference, that phone looked considerably ahead of other smartphones at the time. The other smartphones at the time were... They had a lot of the same feature set as the iPhone, to be honest, but I think the thing that Apple really did was push the the OS forward a lot and made something that was user-friendly, and up to that point, smartphones were... They had a, a large learning curve, I think, to use them, and so Apple gets a lot of credit for taking something that existed to some degree, but really making it into a device for the masses, something that's easy to use, intuitive, and it, it was definitely ahead of the other smartphones of the era. They didn't invent the smartphone, as they're often given credit for, in my opinion, but the the OG iPhone really is the predecessor, I think, to everything that we're seeing now. It, it really kicked things off to the modern smartphone market. Well, and here's a little bit of the press conference and the press release from Macworld from 2007. Uh, Apple has introduced the iPhone which combines three products, a revolutionary mobile phone, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, and a breakthrough internet communications device with desktop class email, web browsing, searching, and maps into one small and lightweight handheld devices. 
iPhone introduces an entirely new user interface based on a large multi-touch display and pioneering new software, letting users control iPhone with just their fingers iPhone also ushers in an era of software power and sophistication never before seen on a mobile device, which completely redefines what users can do on their mobile phones. And I think that's really kind of the crux for me of the original uh, iPhone's launch. They talk a lot about desktop class email, um, things like web browsing and search, which were previously really relegated to, for the most part, home computers, right? There's a, there's a certain amount of utility that one's associated with a computer, and that computer for the longest time was a desktop at people's homes. Now, you have the ability to do some of these things, and in some instances, a lot of these things, on a mobile device, which, again, for the time was, compared to modern specifications, ridiculously slow and completely useless, but in its time and in its day was really groundbreaking and, and revolutionary. This is perhaps what Apple does best and something that I think people lose track of, but the reason people love iPhones, they're easy to use. It's not that Android is really that difficult to use now, but because of the whole walled garden approach that Apple uses, their devices are very simple to operate. and. They should get a lot of credit for that. Things work seamlessly, and the iPhone is a one um, is a prime example of that. It, it wasn't the first phone to have all those features. I had friends that had pocket PCs, and there was various other smartphones on the market. BlackBerry had come in. I know Motorola had some abomination of a smartphone then, but none of them worked like the iPhone did. And, and I was on Verizon at the time, and it was only on. AT&T, it cost, I don't know, five, six hundred bucks. I can't even remember. I forgot about the exclusive, but that's right. And I looked at the time and said, I'm switching. I didn't end up doing it. I had a vendetta against AT&T. We had a bad experience in the past, and I was too stubborn to switch back. But the iPhone, even when it came out, I remember using it for the first time and being pretty wowed. Apple, though, already, it, it was, I remember very vividly, it was a 2G device when other devices had moved to 3G. So when I used it for the first time and popped the browser up, the browser was way ahead of anything else at the time, but loading things was painfully slow because it was still on edge. And uh, again, it, it's one of those things where Apple really, it's a first, I, I give them a lot of credit. It, it's not the first smartphone, but it really moved things. And, and I think they do deserve a lot of credit for ease of use, making things seamless and making a mass market smartphone that really anyone could pick up and use. And that just simply didn't exist. So now they're a bit overrated, but at the time, I, I think you do have to give them a lot of credit of no one had done anything quite, no one had put it all together like they did. There was pieces in other products that had a lot of the same ideas and were trying to do the same thing. But they're the first one to really put it together in a package where you go, this is really the blueprint for a modern smart device. And that was exactly my thought, was that you've got all of these other OEMs that are making their own devices, and Apple kind of, in a way, took all of the best components of it and put it together in a single, attractive, easy-to-use for the average person smartphone, and then made it, you know, through their marketing and hype machine, just such a, a mind-blowing experience that... People had to have it, and I was in the same boat. I was on Verizon at the time. I remember when uh, the launch and the keynote came out, 
And I remember people saying, oh, you know, I am switching, I'm switching, I'm going to ATT, I gotta have this thing, I gotta have this thing. And there were a lot of people that did do that and the original iPhone, you know, obviously and until we get to successive generations of the current iPhone was just an, a giant, enormous success and drove Apple stock and to a greater extent uh, AT&T stock into the stratosphere because of that. What was the, do you remember what the length of the exclusive was? Was it a year, two years? I think I Verizon remember. didn't get the iPhone until late 2009. I want to say with the iPhone 4. So, it, or maybe it was early 2009, but it it had been through a couple of iterations at that point. It, it was not, maybe it was 2010 even. The thing with Apple too, listening, having you read you know, their press release. It's hilarious to listen to it. I, I think that's what a lot of people hate about Apple. When you read it, they act as though it's the second coming or they've invented the wheel or something. And it's not, it's not that the iPhone wasn't an achievement, but they really took a bunch of technologies that were kind of already out there. They packaged them into a better package with a much more efficient OS. And that's no small task. That's, they deserve a lot of credit for that. I think the thing that irks a lot of people, and this may be the case for you, is Apple fans sometimes, they literally act as though the product that Apple makes is untouchable by anything else and like the greatest thing ever made. And, it, and it's, I don't know why we can't just acknowledge that yes, they make a great product. They, they did something that no one had ever done before, it was great. But like you listen to that press release, it's unbelievable. It, it, the hype, the marketing hype, and this is a skill. They're great at it. I, and I have to give Steve Jobs credit. But it makes you want to throw up a little bit because instead of being able to take the product at its face value and going, this is really something that's cool and good for them, people take it to like a cult-like place where this is the second coming. It, it is the most amazing internet machine ever. And it's like, well, no, it's... It's a better version of predecessors, and they should absolutely get credit for that. But it's not the most amazing invention ever. I don't understand it. I'm not too much of a fan person like that. I don't get too wrapped up in things like that. I don't know. It boggles my mind. As I said, I hear the press release, I'm just like, oh, God. It makes me want to vomit. And, and so there's a little bit of backlash, and I think that's what Apple's up against sometimes. And I think even in 2007, um, like you've mentioned, Sean, the, the hype train was already in full effect. People were going, choo-choo, get me on board that sucker. And some of it is the 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 packaging that Apple presents their products in by manifesting them as you know divinely inspired perhaps or uh, just the 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 pinnacle of software and hardware manufacturing in a mobile device and and you're right a lot of the the backlash that they get from you know largely Android users and th and folks like that are. That they, you know, these Apple fanboys, uh, the the Android fanboy counterparts, are so fervent in their defense of everything, and they take any perceived slight as an attack upon them personally because of their support of the product. And it is it is remarkable that that kind of mobile technology has inspired the kind of one might say blind loyalty to its product from millions and millions and millions of people. And it makes my gag reflex go off. And Steve Jobs is like a visionary guy. His personality and the way he did things, he's unique, right? And he's a salesman and he does all these things. He also, though, is not really a great person. I watched the Jobs bi biopic this year and he's awful, right? It's like if you just met this guy, you'd probably think this guy's nuts. Not a great human um, being, turns out. And now I see this all over again right now and I think a perfect example is Tesla right now. It's Elon Musk is the new Steve Jobs. 
and everything he does is like bigger than life. Like the Model Three gets announced, and it's this is the second coming of the Model T, and he's a visionary genius, unparalleled in our time. The Model Three is a fine car. They introduced a beta car. It's not even finished. The dash isn't finished. People are literally talking about it as though it's the most amazing car ever. You have hundreds of thousands of people willing to put down a thousand dollars deposit just to get on a list for a car that we don't think will probably make production on time. And as it's happening, it's just so funny to watch. The Tesla Model 3 might end up being the next Model T, but to me it's the same thing. It's Tesla took an existing product, the electric car, and they made it fashionable and marketed it. And it's a better version of, the, of its predecessors. But he didn't invent some new thing that didn't exist before. He took something, he threw a bunch of marketing behind it, and made a better version, and I'll give him total credit for that. But people act as though he is this amazing visionary that no one else has ever thought like this before, and he's revolutionizing things. And when I watch it, I just sit there, and it's, it's tough for me. My personality is just not like that. I don't jump on the hype train like that. So it's, I look at it and go, he showed an unfinished car that has a lot of promise, and I think that it's cool what he's doing from an environmental standpoint, some other standpoints, but people lose their mind during the announcement, watching people's reaction on Twitter and Facebook and places. It's Elon Musk is the most amazing man on planet Earth, and I, I don't get it. I, uh, I don't know a lot about the Tesla product, but I will say this. Anything that comes with something called ludicrous mode that will take you from zero to 16 approximately three seconds, I am 100% on board with. They make great cars. That's not the issue. It's, <laughs> it's the way people blindly hop on, and any product that they show is now the most amazing product that's ever been made. I think the lack of objectivity when evaluating these things is what turns a lot of other people like me in particular off to some of this. Is Just from a counterculture standpoint, I automatically stand back and go, if that many people are blindly jumping to this... I it makes me want to look at it that much more closely and go, well, what are we actually dealing with here? And so I, a, Apple, I, for me, has always had a fair amount of that. It's, I think their fan base is so fervent and the way that their devotees talk about the products, it's a turnoff for some people because I sit there and go, I don't, I see why you think that, but if you look at the market objectively, that's not really the case. And, and so it's a weird thing. I like Apple more than you do. Um, I like their products more than you do. I think they are a great company that makes fantastic products, but I do understand kind of your disdain for them because there's a whole there's millions of people that will sit there and look you square in the eye and tell you that the iPhones are the most amazing thing ever and, and then when you ask for reasons they don't really have them other than to tell you that it's the most amazing thing ever and it's it's a weird phenomenon. And that's actually kind of a great segue into the story that I had surrounding the iPad, which launched Almost about three years after the iPhone, there's not really a whole lot of a tablet market then. The usefulness of the iPad is something that a lot of people questioned, but Apple made a device and the people flocked to it. I can remember very vividly uh, being at the office one day and a friend of ours came into the break room and had this new iPad and she was super excited about it. And I said, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. What, uh, what are you going to do with that thing? And she said uh, something to the effect of, uh, "I can read eBooks on it. I've got you know, I got a bunch of eBooks, and I can't wait to you know read them on this really beautiful you know color screen." And I said, "That's that's awesome. Um, so it's an e-reader. Great. What else can it do?" And then the rest of the answer was, "Well, I'm I'm not really sure yet, but it's but it's super cool, and I can't wait to to get to use it." 
And I remember thinking at the time, honestly, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And why would you spend the premium that Apple charges for the iPad and any other product that they manufacture for that matter when you're not really sure what it is that you're going to do with it? The tablet market is declining in overall units sold. Um, but the only reason that it is a market today is because of having the iPad in it. The only thing that's really come close to matching the iPods, or excuse me, the iPad's uh, original launch appeal were small, inexpensive Android tablets that kind of filled the space before the iPad mini came into it. But it was one of those things where Apple came out and said, we have this new product. We believe that you need it even if you don't know what the heck it is that you're going to need it for. And what is the iPad really? It's a giant iPhone. They took the iPhone and they said, hey, you know, let's make it giant. The same principles apply here. The same things we were talking about the iPhone apply to the iPad. Tablets existed before, but they took tablets and they applied their far superior at the time OS to it. And they made a product that's really premium and they brought it out. They don't get credit for inventing it in my eyes, but they did essentially again same thing the modern tablet market comes from the ipad but the ipad one even at the time i'm, I'm laughing as you're saying it for like an e-reader it was a 1024 by 768 screen and it also it had 256 meg of ram if i'm not mistaken so if you open too many safari tabs it would run out of ram so that was great it, it's not a bad product tablets as you said though their sales have been declining because i'm not sure what the actual use case is for them i think it, they fall into this weird niche i have tablets and i use it for browsing the internet mainly uh and it's one of those things where how much is that really worth to you it they can't take the place of a laptop i think the surface is the closest thing that maybe it could take the place of a laptop and be a tablet but by the time you get a Surface that's that powerful, it's as expensive as an Ultrabook. So is that worth it? I don't know. iPads themselves are great devices. Even today, the iPad Pro and the... What do we have? The iPad Pro, Is the iPad Pro the big one? They have two sizes of the iPad Pro. Now. iPad Pro 9.7 and the iPad Pro 12.2 yeah. or whatever. They're both great tablets. They're class-leading in a lot of ways. The iPencil or whatever the heck it is is awful, and the way you charge it is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. They're great it's tablets. A pencil. It's a pencil. They're the best tablets. Android tablets, I don't even want to get into it. It's so depressing. I think we said this on our last podcast, too, that the Android tablet situation has been bad since it started, and Google doesn't seem interested in fixing it. Apple at least has a much better ecosystem for their tablets, and their apps are designed to take advantage of the tablets. But the situation is still the same. If you have an iPad, what are you really using it for? You're probably using it to browse media, there are professionals that are probably using it, doctors, maybe architects who want to use the eye pencil, that kind of thing, et cetera, but that's a pretty small part of the market. And who, who's paying $500 for an iPad Pro 9.7 or $800 for the Pro 12.2 or whatever it is? It's, I don't know, for me, it's like you could buy a nice laptop and a small Android tablet for that. What am I missing? Not a whole lot, and in the interest of giving a shameless plug, I talk a little bit about, uh, in an article on SiliconTheory.com, uh, do you need a tablet anymore? And a lot of it covers what you mentioned, which is there's this convergence between phones getting larger and laptops getting smaller and lighter, so that it, in essence, is seeming like it's squeezing that tablet market into a much more niche space, which is, yeah, maybe some people want a, you know, a mobile web appliance and 
don't necessarily want a laptop for whatever reason, but at the price point, does it really make a whole lot of sense? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I'm not in the market for an iPad Pro of any size. And uh, well, I've considered an iPad mini at various points in time. Uh, and that's only, again, because of uh, the Android market space being really, really poor when it comes to, to small tablets, tablets of any size tablets, for that matter. Tablets, yeah, they're just, just bad. Tablets in general. Um, it's not been something where I go, eh, you know what? I, I absolutely have to have this and I, I, I have to purchase it. It's been a, it might be nice if I got it for a discount, but that's not really doing anything for me otherwise. That's kind of uh, a way of saying that Apple was really, for a while, pushing the envelope. Their iPhone successors got thinner and lighter and could do more and got faster. Um, was it the iPhone, was it the 4 or 4S when LTE was originally introduced? So Apple's always a late adopter in technologies. They did, their first iPhone was 2G. They finally brought out the 3G well after other phones on the market were 3G. So they were late with 3G, they were late with LTE, and then NFC is another example of something where they were kind of late to the party. And Android guys would crow and say, oh, we've had that feature for a long time. What they're not taking into account is... At what Apple does best is when they bring those out, they make it something that's really visible for the user, I think. And also, since it's a more mature technology, it tends to be a more seamless use. It's one of those things where LTE, when they hit the Android phones, for instance, battery murders. Everybody remembers, I think, the HTC Thunderbolt. Is the most infamous example. <laughs> Your battery life's in minutes because of, you know, it's measured in minutes because the LTE would kill it, whereas the iPhone 4, when it finally got LTE, still got fantastic battery life. And these are the things that Apple does really well. It's they Their OS is really simple to use. When they add features in, Android guys go, yeah, I've had that feature for years, but it was a really janky implementation, something that the average user could not easily use or maybe didn't even recognize the value of because of the way it was implemented. And this is what Apple does really, really, really well. They make things very simple to use at the cost of you have the walled garden, you can't change a lot of things on your phone, but they work really well. Their battery life for their capacity is always better than Android phones, if we're being blunt. I even, agree. Even up Absolutely. to Marshmallow with Doze, my iPhone on Wi-Fi does way better than my Note 5 does. They're both on, My Note 5 is on Marshmallow now, so it has Doze. Apple makes phones that are easy to use, and it keeps their people happy, and I don't think it matters if they're the first on the block with technologies. They focus more on mature technologies and the user experience, and that's not inconsequential. And that's why people like them so much. As far as pushing the envelope of technology, they don't do that so much anymore for me. I think I think the iPhone 4 was the last phone where I would say the iPhone 4 is the best phone on the market overall because it has the best overall camera, the best overall screen. Apple makes their own processors that have the best overall processor. I think Apple's problem started for me right around the time of the 4S. Everyone was making bigger phones and they insisted on staying at a three and a half inch phone at that point, and then they went up to the the four inch phone on the five, stayed there again at the five S, and uh, finally went to the bigger phones in the six. But the things that iPhone had for me, the reason the iPhone was the best phone on the market, it was the most premium phone on the market. It was generally the thinnest and smallest. Battery life was usually the best because of the optimized OS. It generally had the best screen and the best camera, and usually the best CPU and GPU. 
So you add all that together and you go, wow, this really has literally almost the best of every feature set on the market. Oh, by the way, everything works really well together and seamlessly. In the last couple of years, especially, that's stopped for me. The battery issue isn't as much of an issue anymore because the Android OEMs just put in giant batteries and that kind of solves the efficiency problem to some extent. Samsung screens are better. The cameras on most Android phones, I think the G4 and the Galaxy S6 and now the G5 and the Galaxy S7 and maybe even the One are as good and better in a lot of situations than the iPhone. They still probably have the most interesting CPU and GPU and are probably the most ahead in that category. Their single core performance is second to none. And their phones are really thin and well-designed and premium, but there's no category now where they're an unquestioned leader for me, whereas they used to be a leader in all those categories. If you said, what does the iPhone 6S do better than any other smartphone? Doesn't have the best screen, doesn't have the best camera, doesn't have the best battery life. I would say Android is caught up in a lot of ways as far as ease of use for the OS and you know you can do more things with it. So I don't. It, they're getting kind of a weird space right now. The iPhone is still a fantastic all-around device. I have an iPhone 6 from work and it's great. It's a great phone. It does everything well. But the Galaxy S7 does everything well and has a better screen and better battery life and is waterproof and has an SD card and has wireless charging. Their value proposition is less now. Smartphones are commodities. Smartphones used to be kind of a status symbol almost, with an iPhone being the top of the status symbol. If you had an iPhone, you're the best. Everyone has a smartphone now. Almost all the smartphones are premium now. iPhones still cost the most. I, it's just, it's tough. I don't, I have a real tough time figuring out what it is that people, if you were objectively looking at things and you're an iPhone fan, I don't know what you would say is, oh yeah, it's still absolutely the best and here's why. Well, how? And that kind of the, the conversation around the premium feel of the iPhone product really started to weaken for me when we start looking at the iPhone 5C. And uh, Sean and I were talking about this before coming on air. And basically, Apple doesn't release any sales numbers, so you're not really going to ever know how that product sold. But it wasn't a success. And... It, this looked like, to me, the first signs of the lack of the type of innovation that has driven Apple to the success point that they're at right now. I jokingly said before that uh, on the episode one of the podcast that the iPhone SE stood for special edition. The iPhone 5C, you know, the C could could stand for cheap for all I know. It was a less uh, expensive product. And I think Apple thought maybe that their brand would be such that they could put out darn near anything and people would still buy it. But colors and plastic shells aren't really what Apple does best. And this device's popularity was far, far less than what might have been expected by some people. This is kind of the premium effect, right? So Americans in particular will pay a premium if they think that the device is better or that the device makes them better based on the price point. The iPhone 5C is not a premium device. It was not even really pretending to be a premium device, but still had a price point that was modestly greater than most of the other value smartphones in the marketplace, and it suffered because of it. It was not, it was not I think, what people came to expect from Apple. It was not modestly greater. The 5C was an expensive phone. It was $100 less than the iPhone. I think it was $499 off contract for the lowest end model. What The idea of a 5C makes sense. You have all these emerging markets, India, China. You want to get a foothold in. The average income there is less, so you have this 5C. 
The problem with that is the 5C was still really expensive. So what, what's the point? You, you bring out the 5C and it's still really expensive. That's not going to get you the foothold you want. Two, in the United States for 100 bucks over the course of two years, people are just going to buy the nicer phone and the 5S was nicer, period. And then you know three, I think you could say that people in China and India then who can afford an iPhone, the people that are making way more money than the per capita income of those countries, are also going to spring for the 5S because for them it's a status symbol and they want the higher end nicer version. The idea made sense. When the rumors leading up to it where they were going to release this less expensive phone to gain a foothold in the markets because they're getting there in Europe, Asia, everywhere but the United States. The market share of iOS is small. I mean, I, it's not like Android. Android is like 80% of the market in Europe and in many parts of Asia. And so it made sense. Hey, release a less expensive phone. Give people access to your product. Once you get them in the ecosystem, they'll continue on with iPhones. Releasing it at that price point, what's the market? Why would you not buy the 5S? Everyone did buy the 5S. No surprise. And like you say, the, the value proposition is if you're looking at a premium product, if you're talking about $100 or in some cases, you know, $100 or less, depending on in the Android space, what that amounts to, you know, people are going to say, okay, I, if I'm looking at this as every bit as much of a status symbol as I am uh, a useful piece of mobile technology that can do all of these things for me, you know, I'm already paying you know, $500 it is, why not make a significant upgrade in every way and pay a little bit more for it? Again, at the time, OEMs were really looking at subsidizing the product over the life of a two-year contract, and that makes it even more of an affordable decision to go with a better, more premium product. And I think that that is, has been and will continue to be uh, the typical mentality of, of especially folks in the United States. And while it's not as prevalent in, in Europe, um, I, I think that Apple's had some struggles and some challenges in getting into those larger emerging markets like China, like India and Pakistan, that you've got competitors, everybody from the local homegrown products like Xiaomi, um, you've got Huawei, and then you've got the other Taiwanese manufacturers like the surprisingly back from the dead HTC um, and other companies like LG and Samsung that are all competing for that space. And they're making now, at least in the generations of the iPhone 5 and 5S and and 5C, uh, products that are very good competitors and at substantially lower prices. There really isn't the need or the expectation anywhere but in the U.S. to pay that premium for a better product. And, you know, again, it might have been, the 5C might have been a good idea in concept, but really was not executed very well. It's too bad, too. My wife has a 5C as a work phone. It's a nice device. But, yeah, the use case is dubious. Like in the United States where we do two-year contracts or did, we don't, the carriers don't really do it anymore. But at the time, that's the way it worked. No one's going to buy the 5C when you can spend $100 more and get the 5S. And overseas, the areas where, in theory, this phone would make the most sense because they don't do contracts and you want to have a lower-priced model, it was too expensive to make any difference there. So it, it, was, it always seemed like a phone without a home. It's not a bad device. It just If they had released that device and it cost $349 off contract and you're in Europe or Asia or somewhere, to me, it's a much more compelling proposition. Maybe even at $399, it's hard to say, but... At four ninety nine, whatever it released at, where you're talking about a small difference, might have even been five ninety nine. I can't even remember. It was like a hundred bucks difference. It, there's just no, there's no market that I can see for that. The sales 
bore that out, I think, for the most part. Absolutely. And that kind of takes us to where Apple is right now with their current generation 6 and uh, 6S and 6S Plus products, right? So they're, they're great phones. Apple finally made some changes to go with uh, larger displays. They've got the 4.7-inch display and the 5.5-inch display and the S Plus. But again, these are basically just bigger iPhones that are adopting some of the other technologies that are out in the workplace. Where is what's innovation? What's Apple's what's Apple doing to push things forward? Where has their drive to push technology into the future gone? And I sat and before we started this pod, I was thinking, okay, what has Apple done that has really been innovative in since you know since basically the iPad, where it was a brand new product, niche or otherwise, that was created? And for anybody that's owned. Uh, one of the newer MacBooks or has looked at one of the newer MacBooks, they're doing some interesting things with what they call force touch, uh, which is kind of a a haptic feedback instead of a physical button in their trackpads. This technology has been adopted a little bit into the 6S and the 6S Plus displays with uh, what they call their peak and pop, which allows you to use different levels of pressure on the screen and then have that screen recognize it and then direct the software to do different uh, sets of instructions executed based on the level of pressure. So, you know, as most people would be referring to like a tap or a double tap, Apple's got uh, a push and a press. And then, uh, you know, the difference between that and a tap and a long press is basically the equivalent of what they're doing with this. But it doesn't, uh, it, it means that you don't have to lift your finger up from the screen, which uh, there's a lot of uh, talk about that technology. It hasn't really been adopted into the APIs yet, as most developers don't really know what to do with it. But that, to me, is is kind of a, a software thing. But I don't, I couldn't really come up with anything else that Apple's done to innovate or push the mobile space forward. What do you What do you think, Sean? The mobile space isn't moving like it used to. We have a mature technology now. The phones that are coming out are thoughtful revisions of the previous model for the most part. They upgrade the specs, but we don't see these quantum leap forward that we used to. A phone from a year ago is every 97% as good as the flagships this year probably, whereas if you go back to the 2009-10 era, every year they were making quantum leaps forward. Apple, though, as opposed to other OEMs, sells themselves on innovation. They're the company that builds the innovative thing. They take the leap forward. They make the product that you don't even know that you need. So for them, as th- as things mature, it seems like they're the ones who are, on the face of things, the reason they're losing sales and having some issues is because where does that leave them? We, we're in a land where smartphones are commodities. No one's really doing anything too innovative. You could argue maybe the edge displays and the Samsungs or something are innovative or maybe more so than anything Apple's done in the last couple of years, but... Really, we're just getting better versions of the phones that came before. I don't know what they can do to make a quantum leap. Maybe foldable displays is the next big thing. But since Apple prides itself on being this company that innovates, when they're not, it's kind of, where does that leave them? They're no longer the most premium product. They're amongst them, but they're no longer the most premium. It's not the most innovative. And this is probably why their sales are declining. They make a great product. I don't want people to think that I have some beef or think that iPhones aren't good. I I think they're great. I recommend them constantly to people. I think they're still overall in the top 
three to five smartphones on the market, no question in my opinion. But if you said, hey, should I buy um, you know, an $800, 64 gig iPhone off contract, I don't know if I could justify doing that. There's nothing that it's doing that's substantially better than any of the competitors. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's not better at all. And for a company that prides themselves on innovation being the next big thing, it leaves them in a weird place. They're making iterative products is not going to be something that's going to push their sales, and this is what you're seeing. Their sales are falling. And I read an, anal- you know, an analyst who said, really, the iPhone sales have been struggling since the first quarter of 2012. And his, his point was, the only reason you even saw a bump was when they went to the bigger displays. There was a bunch of pent-up demand for that, so you get a little bounce out of that. But that bounce was more from the fact that they were late to the party for big displays, and there was pent-up demand for years up to that point. But really... With smartphones, they're being a commodity, once again, you're just kind of at a plateau point. And if Apple as a company who is big on innovation and growth, I don't know where they go. You, you can't grow forever. It's amazing what they do. I think I read that their profits, if you made them their own country, they would be the 22nd biggest country by GDP. Good Lord. So it's not like they're struggling for money. They're still the most profitable corporation on planet Earth. But if you're looking long-term and you're looking at Apple and going, okay, what does their future look like? I don't know. They basically, they hit a grand slam with the iPhone. They made a bigger version with the iPad. And then from there, things have, I don't know. They did the Apple Watch. I don't consider it to be. I don't consider it to be that attractive of a design. The function's fine, but it's really expensive, and I don't know if I see the point. And Apple's uh, iWatch and and wearable technology right now, I think, is kind of at a point, And this also is probably a subject of another pod. But you know, wearable technology, kind of like what we're talking about, Apple likes to adopt into their products mature technologies, and I don't know if. Uh, I don't know if wearable technologies is a mature market segment yet, but just in the interest of transparency, since we're talking about their um, their falling, uh, quote-unquote, falling profits. So their Q2 2016 earnings were down for the first time in 13 years. They posted a revenue of $50 billion. Yes, that's a billion with a B. And a net income of $10.5 billion with a B down from $58 billion and $13.6 respectively. So, you know, there's a lot of money. Apple's still uh, sitting on over $230 billion in cash reserves. Um, you know, if you told anybody that their company was going to post a revenue of $50 billion, they would probably jump up and down for joy for a week straight. Um, it's not like they, as a company, are going under anytime soon. Um, the question that I'm asking, and actually two questions that I'm asking is, is this the tipping point for Apple? Is this the is this the point that without something else as that home run that the iPhone was, is this the point where they just basically start declining to the point where they've got nothing new under the sun? And really the second question is, you know, where where do they go from here? Like what is, you know, maybe this is probably, you know, much more speculative than anything else. And we can talk about some of the iPhone 7 rumors and things like that. But, you know, do they have anything that can revitalize their brand? To answer your question, it seems pretty clear that we've reached peak iPhone. I think I read that iPhone accounted for 73% of their revenue last quarter. They're an iPhone company. That's crazy. Apple is the iPhone. They make other products. I'm not saying they don't. 
but Apple's really their revenue and their profits go as the iPhone goes. The sales numbers for next year, the predictions are that it will go down. The scope of how far it goes down remains unclear. The analysts are saying the iPhone 7 is not going to be a big design change. It's going to be another iterative change. It's, it sounds like it's going to be metal still. They're not going to make a big design revision. The things that are going to be added supposedly are the 3.5mm headphone jacks going away. So that's actually not an ad. That's a delete. Although I saw a circuit board that leaked today that had it, so now that's up in the air. Uh, they're going to add waterproofing, supposedly, IP68 maybe. It's going to be thinner yet, which means it's going to have a slightly smaller battery. I don't understand this trend still. I don't know why Apple... Being the thinnest phone when we had 15 millimeter thick phones was a big deal. Being the thinnest phone when we're dealing with five to nine millimeter phones really doesn't matter. I'm much happier with Samsung that decided to make a thicker phone and add in a bunch of battery capacity. I think if you added a millimeter in you know thickness on the iPad 7, but you got 30% more battery capacity, users would be happy to make that trade. Um, you have things like the, you know going back to the other questions, the iPhone SE, is a situation where they finally did introduce a low, lower-priced iPhone. $399 is the entry price. But I read an article on this that said, well, they're kind of sabotaging themselves a little bit because even if that sells, they're cannibalizing sales of larger, higher-priced iPhones that have a larger margin. So even if they get a little short-term pop out of that, long-term, it's probably not good for them. So you take all these things together and people... The iPhone 7 rumors, basically, you might get dual cameras on the 7 Plus. You were talking about Force Touch earlier. Force Touch is one of those things where it does some neat things. It's not a sell, selling point. Joe Average Person, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say, does not care about Force Touch. Feel free to prove me wrong, but I think if you ask people, it's not something that they care about. The iPhone will always be a huge seller. The people that are invested in that ecosystem will continue to buy it. They're going to sell hundreds of millions of iPhones every year. It's a fantastic product. I don't think that it will continue to grow their brand. And as far as things they can do to revitalize the Apple brand, so to speak, if they're looking for growth, the big rumors are they're going to get into cars, whether that means building their own car or you're just talking about, you know, uh, what is it called? Apple. What's Apple's car? Uh, Apple. I Apple, I Apple car. car. We'll Apple call car. It. Sure. Why and they might get into that, but I don't see that being a huge moneymaker for them. And as far as getting into the automotive business, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if they make the first really super amazing autonomous car, maybe. But it seems weird for a tech company to jump into that. There was rumors for a while that they would buy Tesla. That would have made a lot of sense to me if they had bought Tesla and then continued down that path. But it didn't end up happening. So I don't know what they do. I guess they continue to make piles of money every quarter. It's a good problem to have, but their yeah. stock price will probably continue to be relatively flat or decline unless they introduce some new product or segment. Right now, the iPhone is, we've reached peak. It's probably going to level off and remain a very high selling product that makes them a great margin, but not something that's going to grow the company. iPad sales have been declining. I don't see a, a huge shift in that happening. And the Apple Watch. Well, fine is it doesn't sell in numbers that are going to be really meaningful for their bottom line. So where does that leave them? In an enviable position with how much money they make and with how devoted their fan base is. Their fan base is probably the most devoted of any fan base of any product that I can think of or company, which is great. But long term, if I were a stock investor, would I be buying Apple stock right now? I don't know. Two years ago, the answer would have been yes. Now the answer is more of, I'm not sure.
And I think um, much along the same lines, like their you know growth in China's down. Um, growth in India is up. India is an emerging LTE market, so they might get a little bit of a bump by that. Um, the SE might find its way there as a more competitive, uh, less expensive product. Um, you know, they they could see some additional growth there. Growth there, but you know, then their profit margin is much smaller on the SE, so they might not. That might basically end up being a push. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really. I'm kind of the same way. I think that, you know, in a lot of instances, you know, analysts obviously are saying, well, you know, yeah, they're down $10.5 billion in income is still a crap ton of money. The The strangest thing about it is is not only hearing that uh, Apple, you know, 73% of their income is generated from iPhone because this is literally a tech company that started by making computers, making PCs. And don't quote me on that 73%. I read it. It's somewhere really high, though. It's a very high number. But considering their beginnings to have them be so dependent uh, for their income on a singular product, now uh, a highly uh, influential and, and profitable product, but a single product or the vast majority of it on a single product nonetheless, makes, um, you know, makes a, a very uh, concerning position for them in the long run, I might think. So... Um, Talking about where they go from here, you know, obviously, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the iPhone 7 rumors. Um, I think literally you took everything I have written down in my notes, which is kind of hilarious. But the big thing to me, and this was seen originally in the new 12-inch MacBook, is Apple's done some crazy stuff, and now the new MacBook just has a single USB-C connection in it. Like, they've eliminated all these other ports to make it smaller and thinner and lighter and more portable. Um, and doing that for the iPhone 7 would be really intriguing. The only thing about all of that stuff, um, well, I'll say this, the IP68 rating um, would be really kind of cool. Um, to me, one of the current generation phones that actually did make a giant leap forward was Samsung's Galaxy S7. Um, and I won't, this is an Apple pod, so I won't belabor that too much. But going from this, uh, the Galaxy S6 to the Galaxy X7, I think, is a, is a big enough jump forward that people would probably want to make that decision. But um, a lot of it is because of that waterproof, uh, dustproof rating. Um, the concept of using the USB-C jack to drive audio, I think, is a really cool one. Um, and I also saw that same mock-up that said that hold the phone, the, the three and a half millimeter jack, headphone jack might still remain. Uh, although they also said in the same report that that could be just a, you know, a Chinese knockoff that people were doing. Uh, I've seen some video videos on YouTube's of really great, uh, uh, iPhone clones in China that are just spectacular and do all kinds of things that the actual real iPhone can't do. Um, and in the interest of transparency, again, a lot of this stuff I pulled from DigiTimes, which pretty much only has about a 50% success rate with calling these things. But, you know, better battery life, uh, dual cameras, uh, some stuff like even removing the physical home button, which I don't think will make it into the new generation, the iPhone 7. We might see it in the 7S. Uh, LG themselves just announced some technology where they have a need for... Uh, no longer to have the physical home button. They can put a, a home-style button under the capacitive display in the bezel. So uh, some of that stuff might make its way to Apple. But 
you know, a lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. Some of this stuff might be seen, but uh, again, the, the iPhone 7 or, or whatever it might next be called, I don't think is going to be a really groundbreaking product or a product that is going to put Apple back in a position where, where growth is something that they can expect uh, you know, quarter after quarter. One of the most poignant uh, memes I saw on the internet was their uh, reported earnings, and it was, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, you know, Apple reports record profits, Apple reports record earnings, Apple reports record profits, Apple reports record earnings, and then Q2 2016, Apple reports earnings, and there was the word record was no longer there. So that was kind of a an interesting thing. And, you know, obviously they've been very, very successful for a very long time. Um, there are a lot of people who are going to, uh, you know, clamor and point to this as the, the death knell, the beginning of them as a company. But, you know, somebody who's got over $200 billion in cash reserves isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And, you know, as much as I, as much as I harp on them and as much as I harp on the fanboys, I do think that they have a very important role to place, to play in mobile technology. And, uh, you know, I, I think and hope that they get back to doing what they used to do uh, in their heyday, which was try and see how they can take current technologies that are out there and, and make them better. Yeah, I mean, look, Samsung is in the huge, they have sold Apple in the United States. Uh, I think they have like 28% of sales or something, and Apple was down to 21 or 22, and I think it had been... 11 quarters, this was the first time in 11 months, pardon, I think that that had happened, so there's strong demand for the Galaxy S7 and the Galaxy S7 Edge, and that drove that, and none of this means the downfall of Apple, Apple still makes fabulous products, they really do, all of their products are top-notch quality, the chipsets are really amazing, their custom chips are really the best, their memory performance is incredible, leaps and bounds better than any of the Android competition, but I don't think any of these things, these things matter to the end users that much, except for kind of the hardcore nerds like us. True. Then again, a lot of things that we think are important anyway, the average iPhone buyer doesn't care about. They want a phone that works really well. It's seamless to them. They don't have to deal with it, and it just does everything really well. And the iPhone still will continue to do that and does it, and perhaps still does it better than any other phone on the market. But when it comes to feature sets... It's no longer the most compelling feature set. I think the Galaxy S7 checks the absolute most boxes, but even the G5 and the HTC One probably check more boxes than the iPhone does at this point. And this is not an indictment of Apple. I really respect them as a company. I know this. we've just spent an hour almost talking, saying some negative things about them, but that's not to say we're actually negative about Apple. I, I do think that their phones and tablets, I recommend iPads over any other tablet, Unless you're doing hardcore productivity stuff, then I might recommend a Surface Pro. But otherwise, I wholeheartedly recommend iPads to anyone that asks. And I recommend the iPhone a ton still because if you want a phone that just works really well and is easy and you know, it's a phone that I can trust my grandma could be able to use without doing anything, it's still this probably the easiest. But it's just weird to see Apple has always pushed and always had compelling new things coming out and it's like force touch is not one of them there hasn't really been anything they've moved forward that has really been an amazing feature in a couple generations that goes for everyone else too i mean no one's really pushing the envelope too much that's fair so apple's not this is not just an indictment of apple the industry as a whole has matured and that's where we're at perhaps it's because they position themselves as premium 
because they position themselves as an innovator, because their products are really, really expensive, as this is happening, you notice it most with Apple because Samsung was building plastic phones, wasn't really an innovator. I think they were just copying a lot of what Apple does. Yes, I'm, I'm saying they copied Apple in a lot of ways, which is fine, right? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Absolutely. But I guess is. As smartphones become a commodity, Apple may take this one on the chin the most. They'll still be incredibly profitable, but it's just not going to be quite what it was. And it's going to be harder going forward to suggest that the iPhone is leaps and bounds above other phones on the market. I don't know. I don't know where they go. It'll be very interesting to see. I'll be interested to see if they make a car. They could come up with something we're not even thinking of. But it seems... Whenever they say they're going to come up with something that you're not even thinking of, that seems really unlikely to me. They're already talking about like iPhone 8 rumors, and it's basically the same phone we have now. They may switch back to glass, and they're going to put an OLED screen in, which is great. OLED screens is as matured or better than LCDs. That'll be a, a thing where the quality goes up. The screen will be nicer. Again, though, not innovation, and it's not something I'm sure casual fans are going to care all that much about. And I'd agree. I, I think that Apple is kind of at a crossroads with respect to the direction of their company overall. And where they go from here is hard to say, but uh, hopefully they have an idea and hopefully that they can do some things that will really bring back, uh, bring them back full circle to their very beginnings, which was uh, the the unveiling of something as magical and glorious. And even if it wasn't, it brought that type of technology uh, so much more into the mainstream that everyone benefits from it. All of us, all of us as consumers benefit from it because their drive and their success make other companies, uh, especially in the Android space, Samsung, LG, HTC, uh, and even Alphabet and Google with their Nexus line of products, their looking to catch up with Apple and I think we're at a point where they have and so now I guess it remains to be seen where we're not only Apple but everybody goes from here. I hope Apple comes back and does something amazing because it'll kick everyone else into gear if they do. I'm just not sure that there is something coming down the pipeline that's going to do that. Again, I'd love to have their problems making $50 billion in revenue for a quarter and they're not in any danger. They still have just an ungodly amount of money and revenue coming in. They're the most profitable corporation on planet Earth. So it's not like there's some death knell on Apple. I just, from a tech standpoint, I hope that they come up with something new and interesting that we're not thinking of. I think as a whole, smartphones have slowed down a lot, and it would be fun if they did something interesting and to kind of go back to that rivalry and see what the Android OEMs do. But I think smartphones are pretty mature, and until we start getting into the foldable stuff, uh, I think they're going to continue to be pretty conventional candy bar style phones, and I'm not sure there's a whole lot Apple or anyone else can do about that, and that's no knock on them, but... It makes it harder for them to stand out, certainly, and I think it makes the value proposition of charging hundreds of dollars more than competing phones dubious at this point. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. Indeed. Indeed. I think that's all that I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we sign off? No, man. We keep talking for like an hour at a time. Same thing. Anybody who made it through to the end of this one, we were we were rambling a little more all over the place on this one than the last one, but... Uh, 
If you made it all the way, thank you very much for listening to our musings. Good on you, everybody. And uh, just as a reminder, you can find all of our uh, writings and articles at SiliconTheory.com. You can follow us uh, at Silicon Theory on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I think we have, because we're coming up to the midway point of the year here, we're probably going to have uh, an article and most likely a pod to support uh, a mid-year buyer's guide for 2016. There's a lot of great phones and great tech that's come out in the last uh, seven to nine months, so we're going to be doing some reviews on that real soon. So, uh, again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Good night.